Welcome everyone to Popcorn Peeps episode 14 featuring The Lord of the Rings Return of the King. This epic fantasy film was released in 2003 and was based off the novels written by J.R.R. Tolkien. This film is also the final film in the trilogy directed by Peter Jackson starring such actors as Elijah Wood, Ian McKellen, Sean Astin, Orlando Bloom, Viggo Mortensen, John Rhys-Davies, and about 300 others. Look them up if you want but the list is too damn long. The film won all 11 Academy Awards it was nominated for including Best Picture and basically everything else. The film is about one ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them together. And in the darkness bind them. And to break down the thrilling conclusion to this journey I am joined by. The Fellowship of the Peeps. Sarah Alexander of Rohan. <laughs> hey Jordan. Chris McMullen of Rivendell. Oh god, hi. And Craig Moore of Moria. I'm happy to be a part of the thrilling conclusion to that long-ass intro. Ah, it's a super appropriate way to start out. <laughs> Was it as long as the movie? Before getting into the thick of it, I know each of us has a pre-existing relationship with the Lord of the Rings series. If you guys each want to go ahead and give us a little bit of a teaser as to what you've seen in the past and any insight on whether or not this rewatch has changed your opinion. I can go first. I saw all the Lord of the Rings when they came out. I've seen all of the Hobbits. I've not read the books. That was too much of an endeavor for me. I thoroughly enjoyed them back then. And I would say that yes, rewatching this has changed my opinion of it, but only in where I would rank the three of the trilogy. Interesting. I read The Hobbit. I read Fellowship and about half of Two Towers before I gave up out of sheer boredom. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> I saw all of the theatrical release films as they were released back when I was a when I was a younger lad. And having rewatched Lord of the Rings: Return of the King, I have done a little bit of soul searching to try to figure out why I hated this movie so much. I'm a fucking stab you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised. No, I think you misunderstand me. The thought in my head for, it's been 12 years since I saw this movie last. And my recollection of this movie is that it was long and boring and stupid. Rewatching this movie, I have no idea what the fuck I was thinking. <laughs> oh my God. You've been complaining for like 13 episodes of Popcorn Peeps and making fun of me at every twist and turn only to pull this bullshit out of your ass. There is the no hour. way that I'm ever going to stop making fun of you. Yeah, that's true. I respect that. That's fair. <laughs> oh, well. I saw it all, saw all in the theater, owned the box sets. My wife really likes it. I hate it. It's so stupid. There are definitely problems with this film. Well, my parents were not movie people, so I didn't even get a chance to watch this trilogy until I was in high school. And let me tell you, as a fan of Final Fantasy and someone who played Dungeons and Dragons, this blew me out of the water, instantly became one of my favorites. I have an intense nostalgia for this film and the whole trilogy. And even now that I'm older and more critical, I think the film holds up well. Yes, I can see more of the cheesiness. The special effects aren't as great as they were once upon a time. But in terms of fantasy epic, this feels almost unrivaled even 20 years later. I'm astounded that that's the case because I usually watch this about every five years and still just as good as I remember it. I think it's because all the rest of the world is like, mm, okay, we're good for the, another century. You don't <laughs> need to make any more of these things. Chris, I feel like last week when we were discussing Braveheart, you said you hated historical fiction or anything in that time period unless there were dragons and this had that and you still don't like it. So I'm, I'm just, just say, confused. Okay. At... Sarah, it was a wyvern. What's a wyvern? Not a dragon. Whatever. It's like a dragon with a long snaky neck. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that like what the Nazgul was? No, no, no. The Nazgul are road wyverns. Yeah, the Nazgul are people. Oh. 
corrupted people. I thought it was one. Sorry, actually, I that wasn't it, good enough for you, Chris. It's beautiful movie. I'm, I watched it and I'm like, like it was boring. Was it all the Shakespearean language and dialogue and like the the elves being like, "Who fought art thou? Go into darkness." No, I've, I love Shakespeare. Uh, uh-uh. uh, no, no, no. I'll tell you what I think the biggest problem with this movie is, and the biggest problem with all three of the movies is the bad guy sucks. The bad guy is this just ephemeral evil thing. He doesn't do anything. He's just a bad guy who is gonna do something if we don't take the MacGuffin and destroy it in time. He's just a ticking clock. The bad guy's a ticking clock, and that's not that's not entertaining. No, I gotta disagree. Sauron is a cool villain because of the way he projects and demonstrates his power. He's not a big guy with a club, but he has influence over the ring bearer as a psychological threat. He's able to corrupt somebody's mind from a thousand kilometers away. Also, the aura of intimidation that he spreads across the countryside. Just news of his resurgence generates this awesome atmosphere of dread that sets the tone for the whole trilogy. I think that the more interesting villains are the villains who they themselves believe and act as though they believe that they are the hero, that they are the good guy. And to me, Sauron is just an evil thing on top of a tower who wants to send orcs to kill people, which is not an interesting villain to me. Concur. I think it's because this is rooted in the same fairy tale structure that Pan's Labyrinth was, in which it's that theme of good conquers evil, but it just builds upon it until you have this grand scale. But good doesn't conquer evil. Not in this story. Evil conquers itself. Sauron's own corruptive influence is the reason that he was destroyed. His influence over Smeagol caused himself to be destroyed. So good did nothing. Good did nothing but hold Sauron at bay and wait for him to kill himself. I don't know how I feel about that. No, I, I'm i on board with that. Good got the ring to Mount Doom. Smeagol wouldn't have taken it to Mount Doom. So Good did a little bit. They wouldn't have got to Mount Doom without Smeagol. Yeah, but but at the very end, Good was going to walk off with the ring. No, but it wasn't Good anymore. That's the thing. He was tainted and corrupted. I wish Sam would have pushed him. We can get into that. Let's go through some of the sequences of the film. And in the process, we can talk about the progression of the various storylines that the film follows, as well as the major characters as they appear. So the film starts and we're treated to Smeagol's backstory and how he finds the ring of power on the fishing boat. What do you guys think of Smeagol as a character and how this fleshes out the story that we've established so far in Fellowship and Two Towers? Well, first we need to discuss the fact that this movie needs to stand alone on its own legs to deserve a spot on this list. Oh my god. Okay, even without Two Towers, Smeagol is still the best character in the entire- I am willing to agree that Smeagol is a good character, and one of my favorite things about this movie is that it bookends itself very nicely, starting with Smeagol having this fight with a hobbit over the ring. His name is Deagle. Smeagol and Deagle. And ending with Smeagol (laughs) having a fight with a hobbit over this ring. And he wins both times. The first time the ring gets what it wanted, but the second time it doesn't. Craig, you're so insightful. I like him. He's he's fun. Of all the parts of this film, I feel like the eccentric and dynamic nature of Schmeagel is what would interest anyone most. What don't you like about him? No, he was fine. I don't. I, I can't tell you what I like or dislike. Like I don't dislike him. He's fine. This is a critique. It's a critique. Your job is to tell me what you like and don't like. I, I cannot. You're killing me. I can't put my finger on it. Oh my god. I'll critique something about Smeagol. I'll I'll say something that I think that on, in any other setting in the film, Smeagol would have seemed way over the top, way too much, way too eccentric. However, the 
fact that he was placed in there as a foil to Sam with Frodo playing the middleman and almost as a, an opposite on the set to Frodo at the time. Both Sam and Frodo are very sullen, low energy characters that are just, they've had the shit kicked out of them. They don't say much. They don't do much. And the fact that Smeagol is so over the top and so crazy eccentric makes those scenes interesting. It's the only thing that makes those scenes interesting to me. So set with any other character in any other part of the film, he would have been irritating and I wouldn't have liked him. Hmm. Yeah, but that's storytelling, right? Putting the correct pieces of the puzzle next to each other and building that world so that each of the three storylines you follow has something interesting about it, pushing it forward. And Schmeagel just happened to be the component of that Sam, the ring and Frodo story that progressed it forward and kept you entertained and kept you engaged, right? Right. I mean, if anything, that's just a, a testament to the storytelling and the craft, right? Placing that piece where it needed to be. I liked opening with Smeagol because although I had seen the other two in the series, I did not watch them before watching this one. And I tried to keep that in mind. Like, this is a standalone movie. Even though I know what the storylines are, I'm not going to try and take them too much in. And if I was just watching this one, that whole opening gave me enough knowledge, I think, to know what the ring is, its influence, what it can do to hobbits or people. And I thought that was really well done, but without having to go back and explain what happened last time. Yeah, no, they, that, that was really good. Yeah, that's cool. It does a really good job of bringing you in and building that backstory because in Two Towers, Smeagol's role is fairly small, whereas he really takes center stage in this film. So it's great to start with that, build up the character, let you in on the loop if you're just kind of hopping in partway through. So I, I think without a shadow of a doubt, Smeagol and his dubious counterpart Gollum are the best characters in the film. I like that this intro lets you witness his fall into madness. It shows how the ring corrupts one's mind. And Andy Serkis just does a great job of bringing that character to life. The erratic nature of the two personas bouncing back and forth for control of this disgusting bony little creature. And you know what? I'm going to institute the first Popcorn Peeps official contest right now. I have on my screen four famous Gollum lines and whoever can read one best as Gollum, I will send you 20 bucks. <laughs> I am now posting them in the Discord chat. Oh, I just deleted all of them. One second. <laughs> Undo, undo. Who will take up my challenge? Which of you are brave enough okay, hold to on. go just, the distance? Just trying to get into my just trying to get into my element here. Just, just give me a second here. I can't. Sarah, you have to. My Schmeagle sounds like Stitch. That's fine. I'll take it. Do we have to do the full sentence or can we take No, there's uh, four lines and you gotta pick one. Can I not just do a fraction of a line? No, you have to do the whole line. You can, but it will uh disqualify you. I will not send you any money. Okay, hold on. Just second just i think i might need a little bit of rehearsal here so just give me a second here we want it we need it we must have the precious they stole it from us sneaky little hobbits is wicked twixy false i love it craig big round of applause well done well done well done are you feeling brave enough for the challenge sarah <clears throat> sneaking sneaking that hobbit is always so polite smeagol shows them one second my recording booth chats in the way smeagol shows them the secret ways that nobody else could find and they say sneak i love it there you go guys get the nerves out loosen up a little bit am i allowed to do the same one yeah you can do the same one if you want go for it <clears throat> sneaking, sneaking. Fat hobbits is always so polite. Smeagol shows them secret ways no one else can find. And they say sneak. Oh my god, it's Kay. so good. Let me be clear. The reason Chris went last is because he knew if he went first, neither of us would even bother trying. No. <laughs> 
love that it. Was that was incredible. So good. That was good, Chris. Oh, uh, I'll do one nobody has read yet, and then we'll be fine. She's always hungry. She needs to feed. She must eat, and all she gets is nasty oxes. Not as good as Chris. <laughs> Chris, that was that was incredible. Oh, well done. Thank you for participating in the first popcorn <laughs> peeps challenge. <sighs> So, in this point in the film, Smeagol is currently leading Frodo and Sam along with the Ring of Power up into this secret passage into Mordor. Frodo and Sam believe they're getting a backdoor entrance to throw the ring into the fire of Mount Doom. But we as the audience know, Smeagol is taking the two hobbits up to Shelob, a great and mighty spider, and in fact, the greatest offspring of Ungoliant, the primordial spider. How do you feel about Frodo and Sam? And Craig, you touched on this a little bit, but their relationship with Smeagol and how that dynamic works. Yeah, Frodo and Sam are, they're not that interesting. They're just, they're guys going on a hike. Sam's more interesting than Frodo, uh, only because, you know, he, he has this idea in his head that this is temporary. They're going to do this return trip. Frodo's just, he's done. He's toast. He's over. He's, he's on his last legs. He's going to get to Mount Doom, and he doesn't think there's a chance in hell of going home. Are we there yet? Yeah, yeah. yeah pretty much. Kinda, Are we there yet? <laughs> you know, Sam's great in comparison. He's, he does everything he can to be a hero, and he really is a hero. He is, yeah. Watching Frodo is frustrating because he's constantly trying to battle with the influence of the ring, but by this point in the story, he's so worn down, his fortitude isn't there, that it's so easy for Smeagol to spin Frodo against Sam. And as a member of the audience, I do think this is one point in the film where it becomes a little bit hard to buy into the story. You're supposed to believe that this ring has such power over Frodo that he's willing to sell out his lifetime's worth of beliefs. And I get it, from a storytelling perspective it makes sense, but from someone in the audience, it's hard to believe that element of it especially when sam is such like a giga chad he is a sweetheart yeah anyone in their anyone in their life would be lucky to have a friend like sam so watching this sequence is a little bit heartbreaking like you said it's hard to believe you know sam and frodo have been friends for we assume at this point decades right and sam's done everything for frodo the whole way and because sam ate some food frodo kicked him away and was like no leave like are you kidding me you were just 20 minutes ago you were saying no sam you need to eat some food and then it appeared that sam ate some food and you were like fuck this i'm actually i I get it i'm actually okay with that i i thought that showed the corrupting power of the ring how erratic frodo is becoming i agree with you chris I think Frodo and Sam's storyline for me was probably the most flat until the last part where they actually got into Mount Doom. And then I really liked seeing the relationship and how strong of a support Sam was from then on. But the whole when they were climbing up the mountain and even with Shelob, that was kind of like, okay. If the state of the world wasn't at stake, I would have just peaced out. I guess Sam has no reason to turn back because if he does, Gollum takes the ring, the quest is over, uh, Sauron rules. But like any other circumstance, I'm Sam. Later, Frodo. I'll see you in the show. (laughs) But he totally simps for Frodo. 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 Totally. Yeah. But I think he has no choice, right? He's stuck between a rock and a hard spot. He either follows Gollum, potentially dying, or he goes back and dies anyway once the ring is claimed and the armies of Mordor march through Middle-earth. He has no food either way. Yeah. It's, it's tricky. Yeah. So the film cuts back and forth between multiple storylines. We have that one there. And then we also have the one with Gandalf and Gondor and the one with Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli in Rohan. Of all these storylines, I actually liked Gollum. Just, fuck, there's so many names. Uh, <laughs> the one we were just referencing the most, I think particularly because it's character driven. The other two storylines are very political driven and there is a lot of big battles in it. So it, it's more of a spectacle to watch, but I think it's the interpersonal relationships that really connect me 
me with Lord of the Rings and make me appreciate it so much. I honestly feel like the battles are like the icing on the cake here. I don't know if you guys agree or disagree. I think one of you said you you felt like the storyline was pretty flat. Just when they were doing all the climbing and that, there wasn't a lot. It was frustrating for me watching it, but I really liked the relationship between Frodo and Sam when they got to Mount Doom and they started doing all that introspection and when they were out and they thinking they were going to die. That I really, really enjoyed. For the other storylines... I thought there were good characters there as well. And I don't know what one you want to start with. Well, I think the first one you see is in Gondor at Minas Tirith. Without its king, Gondor is being ruled by this scumfuck bastard, Denonor II, father of Boromir and Faramir, rules over the kingdom as Mordor's armies are running in. And it's up to basically Gandalf to set the ship straight along with Pippin. This section I thought was pretty cool. What do you guys think of Gandalf as a character and his role in the film? I love the actor. He's a great character. He's so overpowered. Is he overpowered? Because, like, what are the rules for magic in this universe? It doesn't seem to make any sense. Okay, so he's overpowered, but he doesn't use it. Oh, is that... So am I then. Gandalf isn't a human, right? He was created by basically the god of this universe. He's There's as no old as time. There's no way for us to know that. That's a problem. No, no it doesn't. Okay. Yeah, okay. So the, this is my problem with almost the entire movie. Is these, It's these long drawn out things that could have been avoided. First off, emo prince goes and leads his men to a certain death because daddy doesn't love him irritated me so much (laughs) and since Gandalf is so powerful and he can just make the worm birds fly away what did you call them wyverns wyverns I was close worm bird yeah it's close (laughs) like he rides out on the field he holds up his staff and this light comes out and they all leave and I was like wow that was first beautiful maybe that's why he had to let all those people die so he could ride across and it would have a better effect (laughs) but like you think the story is broken because Gandalf doesn't use the full extent of his power yes maybe yeah I think there's a lot of inconsistency with the magic that I don't really understand so for example he gets Pippin to climb up a tower to go light a fire but he doesn't know how to use fireball level one yeah like (laughs) well Jen was talking to me about this and the magic in this universe works in really weird ways it's not like Avatar the last airbender where people are shooting fireballs and lifting rocks and levitating right it's almost like a spiritual magic in a sense Uh, it's very unconventional and I do so it does yoga agree with you I think it creates some weird situations where you think like really you couldn't have just done that with your staff also he beats people to death with this stick and does magic like 5% of the time with it this is more of a melee weapon than (laughs) anything else why do people hold wizards in such high regard they don't seem to be powerful at all except once every you know once a movie (laughs) because it's good for the plot i think that this movie could have been a lot shorter if gandalf just like fucked people up the entire faramir storyline seemed disjointed and unnecessary that it made me angry and maybe his character is better in the books and maybe it could have been better but in this movie it's not sad emo boy i think of all the storylines faramir's quest did not get me excited i think that was one of the weaker segments for sure and i think gandalf is is wary to execute what he is capable of because he doesn't resurrect himself. When he dies, the god Eru resurrects him as Gandalf the White. And so he has no confidence that if he goes out and kills himself, he is going to be able to come back again. And I think that's why he's a little bit hesitant. But that's not in this movie. I don't know no, what you're talking it's... about. That's That hasn't that can't be a thought <laughs> for us watching I didn't read movie. the Silmarillion. I have no idea what who the hell the goddess Eru of the... You wouldn't know that even if you read the book, right? Yeah, that's not relevant to this movie. I think the will be awesome as an Amazon series where you can (laughs) look into everything better than cramming it 
into three movies. But we already had Game of Thrones. And then you, yeah, you can flesh out these side stories. Well, maybe that's the root of my issue, right? Is I didn't watch this standalone uh, over the last two weeks. I rewatched the entire trilogy, did a bunch of look into the backstory. And so when you have all the pieces, everything fits together pretty well. But out of context and just isolated, there are a lot of moments where you would think, well, why is this this way? And there is a reason for it, but you, Peter Jackson doesn't tell you. Is there a reason that Aragorn didn't just, ha- you know, we'll get there later. Well, let's get there. Let's get there. Let's get there. Let me let me throw in my two cents about Gandalf. I think Gandalf is cool, not because he's a wizard, but I think he is cool because he's the glue that binds everything together. He's the guy with the connections. You need to hit up some guy across the continent, get in touch with your boy Gandalf. He'll hit you up. You need to buy some weed. He knows where it is because he's always smoking that pipe. He can help you out. He's a homie. And he's the one who brings the hobbits from the Shire to Rivendell. He sets them on their quest. He has such influence over the kingdoms of men that without Gandalf, the whole quest falls apart. He is he is what's at the center. It's not Frodo, it's not Sam, it's Gandalf. And I think that's what makes him an interesting character if you know about the quirks of Gandalf. Gandalf is a GM NPC. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's a, a NPC that the game master invents just to have him there conveniently for moments to send a, send the characters on their quest or if they're in trouble, just he shows up and uses a meteor spell no one knows how to use to save everybody. Well, Gandalf is a being of divine intervention. Could have intervened a lot more. But I had no way to know that. <laughs> Wasn't in the movie? You don't even get that from watching the three movies. You got that from no. supplemental material. No. And this isn't uh Yeah, and there shouldn't be supplemental reading yeah. to You can't get on the the movie list if you have to do homework. All right, all right. Moving on. Without Denethor's knowledge, Gandalf has Pippin light the beacon, summon help for Rohan, and we cut to our third segment with Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas as they rally the troops in Rohan and summon the army of the dead made up of all these deceased traitorous men who were cursed by Isildur, Aragorn's ancestor, and tethered to Middle-earth until their oath to the king was fulfilled. What do we think about this trio? That was well explained. That was a part of the movie that was well explained. Yeah. That had good exposition. Yes. But one thing about that, did we need to see all 20 beacons lit? Fair. It was cool. It was cinematic. I liked seeing it. Yeah. It was like five too many. I did have one small problem, which was King Theoden went from, well, where was Gondor when we needed them to, <laughs> and Rohan will answer to in like 3.2 seconds. Quick moral switch there. Well, I think he felt like he was isolated. So when Gondor called for help and he didn't have to go offer his service, he's like, oh, look who needs my help. Fixes his collar. I suppose we could help these folks. That's not, that wasn't represented in the movie at all. He did a complete 180. That's kind of the vibe I got. I mean, if you didn't get that, you didn't get that. I mean, that's just personal opinion. What I got is he just chose to be the bigger person and the better person and was like, well, they didn't come to us, but I can go to them. You know what? You actually turned me around with that argument because a big theme in this entire movie for everyone except the hobbits is pride and hubris everyone thinks they're strong hell if you go back to fellowship of the ring which i (laughs) shouldn't do but even boromir thought that he could wield the ring so all of these characters except the hobbits have these delusions of grandeur that they're the great one they're so strong and they'll overcome whatever and when theoden was standing there saying well they didn't come help me when i needed it when they asked for it he said like you said oh well look who comes rolling on <laughs> <up."> <laughs> so maybe you're yeah. right 
I don't know. I mean, just whatever you read it as. I think particularly with this trio, the bond between Gimli and Legolas is wonderful. Again, at the beginning of the Fellowship, they're at each other's throats. But by this point, they've been through enough together and they've really developed as characters, I think more so than almost anyone else in the film, to the point where they've overcome their racist ideals and have been able to see the value in each other's character and that binds them together. One of my favorite quotes in the entire trilogy is from this film when Gimli says, I never thought I'd die fighting side by side with an elf and Legolas responds with, how about fighting side by side with a friend? Gimli, of course, responds, I, I could do that. And that's the moment where their arc completes. Throws up in mouth. And I, I get a little, I go, I feel good inside. Do you know what? I'm, I've become so jaded. Why don't you like Legolas and Gimli? I don't like any of it. It's just... Why? Explain. Use big brain. I wasn't going to do this, but I think I've discovered what I don't like about this genre. You... Fantasy? Uh, <laughs> war... The baby. Uh, no, but like these big like war things, it's propaganda for the upper class. The people just die. All we see in this one especially is the kings and the hobbits are the little men, but even Frodo is like a lord in the squire, right? Shire? I don't Shire. think you're wrong. He doesn't even really have a choice in the matter. The only reason he's doing what he's doing is because he's been coerced into it, essentially. He feels like there's no other option for him but to help because all of these big powerful men were too busy fighting around a table to take ownership of this problem yeah so anything where like people are sent to the slaughter think that's the thing that gets me there's no need for it if you had provided some kind of distraction for frodo and sam they could have got to mordor you didn't have to have all these battles you didn't have to wait until the last minute could use the eagles more i don't even want to get into the eagle argument the only reason there's battles aren't they because the armies of mordor are approaching these human cities right isn't that why they're repelling them it's not out of that's what I out of necessity basically otherwise all of the women and children and all of the farmers and all that are gonna get just like blown away in the city walls specifically with legolas and gimli i didn't think of either of their characters were used well or that interesting we didn't really know anything about them they're just some guys running around killing orcs and it was neat that they you know they had a friendly competition between each other to see who could kill more orcs but like who are these guys i don't i don't give a shit about either of these guys i agree with with craig i liked seeing their friendship in the first and the second but in this one and just viewing this one alone what i saw of them was kind of cheesy and i didn't really buy into it they are definitely one of the cheesier elements of the film everything is very serious but when you look at their interactions particularly in this film it does err on the side of comedy and it's they're almost so overpowered that it becomes a little bit laugh when Legolas is doing acrobats over top of the elephants, taking out 60 guys in one swoop, and he, all he's got is a bow. If you're trying to build a sense of realism and a cohesive world, having this one random elf who is like stronger than Gandalf, like way better than everyone else, like he's maxed out all of his stats and just kind of like smurfing on people is a little bit strange. And the fact that the elves could have kicked ass, but we've the elves are just assholes. They just were like, oh no, we, we're, we're going to go back home. Bye-bye. Let me rescind that. I don't think the elves are assholes. I think they just do not want to meddle in affairs that they do not believe are their own. And that's their right to do so. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the elves are not from Middle-earth. Essentially, Rivendell is, it's almost like an embassy for them and their home is outside of Middle-earth. Yeah, for sure. Well, if it wasn't their business, they shouldn't have taken the three, three rings. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they should have given that sword back a long time ago instead of reforging it like in oh. this episode. They're just as guilty as the men. Am I giving Orlando Bloom a pass because yeah. he's also a pirate? That's all I could think of <laughs> when I was watching this is freaking Pirates of the Caribbean. And then I was trying to think, was this before or after that? Just get the pirate like, ship well up. Before? Shoot them from the ocean. <laughs> 
B. Davy Jones. <laughs> In terms of Aragorn's character, I think he's barely passable. I think his romance with uh, the elf Arwen leaves so much to be desired. Definitely the weakest, one of the weakest parts of the film. It only serves a purpose in that it's how the sword is reforged, Narsil. The sword used to slice off Sauron's finger, and he uses that later on to convince the army, but blah, 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 blah. Realistically, all of their conversations are an old English snooze fest, and he just feels like an RPG NPC, like you're saying earlier about Gandalf. That's how yeah. I feel about Aragorn. And he doesn't possess the dynamic emotional range necessary to make you care about a character that is supposed to be as important as he is. Are you starting to see how shitty the movie is? No, this movie is really good. It is just flawed. It's good, except for- It is for, a flawed masterpiece. Uh, you haven't said one good thing about it. That's I, not true. I, he said a lot of things. I'm like, I love Sam. I love the rig. I like its influence. I think Gimli's the shit. And Chris is like, you don't even like anything, bro. Like, are you listening to me? I was a bit confused in the battle outside of Gondor when the humans were at the gate of Mordor, which is towards the very end of the movie. What the hell? And and this goes for the earlier, the fight with Faramir and all that. Why are the ring wraiths doing anything except finding the ring? There's one MacGuffin in the entire world that can fuck up Sauron's plan, and they're busy playing toy soldiers with the armies of men. Oh, Travis is going to flame me for this because I'm probably wrong, but I think Sauron thinks Pippin has the ring because when he touches the seeing stone, Pippin states that he's been able to like communicate with Sauron and someone mentioned something about now he thinks I have the ring. They say that in the movie. Yeah, but yeah. why are yeah. they why that. are they fighting Faramir? Why aren't they going for Pippin? Doesn't the whole army of Gondor and Rohan march to the Black Gate? And like I'm pretty sure Pippin's in there, so Sauron would think yeah. that the ring is in that big horde of people. But the the worm birds can fly. They're wyverns. They could just Where go they just right fly to Pippin. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like and kill him. Yeah. It's almost like the Eagles. It's like I don't understand it. The the ring wraiths have one job. They're ring wraiths. Can we talk about how fucking cool they look? Yeah, they look super yes. yeah. super cool. I'll admit that. Very good. At work in the elevator during Halloween one year, there was this girl, and she, I don't know if she was wearing stilts, but she was tall as fuck, dressed up as like an almost one-to-one Nazgul. And I said, I love your Nazgul costume. And she's like, You're the only one who knows what I am. <laughs> <laughs> It was so cool. I love the design, the big helmets, the like ethereal forms. They're just menacing. And when they get the dragon or the wyverns, fucking so cool. I believe it's Wormbird. It's not Wormbird. <laughs> oh um, back to Arwen. I hated her. And I especially hated at the end where he's crowned king or whatever. And she's like behind a tapestry. And then like, hey, I'm You're here. not actually dead. They could have just thrown her up there with him at the beginning and like cut out those five minutes. Nobody was surprised to see Arwen there at the end. We're like, oh, yeah, there no. she is. Yeah. Why was she going to no die? Cared. She was overcome by the darkness. That was also very weird. Was her immortality tied to the necklace she gave Aragorn? I think it was tied to the balance of good and evil. That's what I thought. Like as evil becomes more powerful, she feels weaker and weaker now that Uh, she doesn't have eternal life or whatever. Dumb. I didn't spend any of my homework time looking into elves because they did not interest me. (laughs) It's like, I don't have the real answer for you guys here. I had a girl in high school who after this movie came out started wearing like one braid down the side of her hair and then she put the elf ears on. We would have been friends. 
bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> the next section of the film we're treated to is this amazing battle sequence. It's called the Battle of Pelennor Fields, featuring the Army of the Dead, Mordor, Gondor, and Rohan, all fighting it out. There's literally a bazillion soldiers on screen at any given time, and you have the contrast between the little soldiers and the giant Oliphants, and these were cool. I think this battle eclipsed anything we saw in Braveheart just based on the sense of scale between yeah. the big orcs with their armor on, the small men, the horses, the elephants, and I had such a good time watching this. I like the, the thick troll boys. They're great. Oh, they were so cool. I love, them. I love the trolls like, and the that's, orcs. That's me. See, I pushed the, I pushed the bridge. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was a very beautiful battle scene. It was the, great. The sound was incredible. But like the whole Oliphant thing was like, why didn't they have armor? Because like okay, they were building this army from basically nothing. And so like they were probably having a trouble armoring their own dudes, let alone the giant yeah, elephants. I thought these elephants and the guys on the elephants were guys that Sauron had called in. Like they were mercenaries or something from another area. And he's like, I'm not going to pay to armor your crew. Armor your own crew. <laughs> the hell do I look like? Yeah. But I mean, yeah. like she runs through with two swords and takes out an Oliphant. People don't armor the legs of their horse all the time. Yes, they do. They totally did. No, they don't. Not all the way. Their whole legs are not covered in like little metal tubes. They <laughs> wouldn't be able to run. That's fair. But. Uh, not well and like and the the <laughs> pilot of the oliphants was like totally exposed like the guitar dude from uh fury road <laughs> mad max yeah. yeah i thought about that too and i genuinely think after that battle that legolas could take gandalf in a 1v1 because legolas cleared half that damn battlefield himself and gandalf has a shiny stick he hits people in the head with the one argument may be that gandalf doesn't use his magic in close quarters because of collateral damage there's no fucking way that elf could beat gandalf <laughs> He'd be like dump of his uh, staff and his face would melt. His bonking Well, stick. we don't know. Maybe. Maybe he knows that spell. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't know any spells. <laughs> if that light thing that pushed away the worm birds was that oh my God, just imagine. Stop. Stop. <laughs> I died legit tilting the shit out of me. Maybe they're photosensitive. I don't think Legolas is. Doesn't matter if you're photosensitive. If something that can send that kind of light out at close range would literally melt your face. I just put my sun. I, look, I got I got blue light filters here. I'll just put those bad boys on and I'm basically immune. <laughs> your eyeballs are, but you don't have a face in it. Wizards hate him. This one neat trick. <laughs> A lot of the scenes you see in a movie, you think, okay, I get how this is made. This is a cool trick, but I can see it. There is so much going on here. It just, it blew my mind from a directorial standpoint, the cinematography work, the costuming, the effects. It just all came together in such a perfect package that this battle, regardless of whether you even care about the stakes, is impressive regardless. And that's usually my shtick with battles. If I don't care about the purpose, I don't care about the battle. This battle was so good, it didn't even matter what they were fighting over. I would just watch this as like an eight minute clip on YouTube just out of context. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I agree. One of my favorite things of all the battles is when the ghost boys come through the boat. And let's talk about the ghost boys because I have a huge problem with the ghost boys. <laughs> Other than the fact that they're outrageously overpowered, why in the hell does Aragorn just say, yeah, you guys are free to go after the battle is over when he knows full well the ring is not destroyed yet and Sauron still has an army behind those walls. No, you're not free to go yet. There's still a war to fight. But he's a man of honor. I think Isildur basically kept them shackled forever and he felt like it was his duty to do the right thing in this situation. And I agree. He should do the right thing after the war is over. Well, he didn't tell them that. It was just this one battle and he didn't want to break that promise is what I thought. He wasn't like, hey, you guys are bound to me till we get this ring destroyed who knows 
knows how long that could be. Yeah, but the whole world's at stake. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the whole world's at stake, and he's like, yeah, I guess I'll do you a solid and let you go home early. Well, when he's got Rohan still sitting back here ready to fight with him. He's got Rohan, who are men who showed up to fight honorably, and he's like, hey, guys, yeah, can you just stick around until we've wrapped this whole thing up? But he's going to let the overpowered ghost boys clock out early. I'm going to cut these guys loose. <laughs> Death before dishonor. But they've been clocked in for centuries. No, they didn't clock in until they got off the ships. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, they would have destroyed everybody on the ships too. Okay, oh. fair enough. They All right, we'll pay them for their commute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're willing to sacrifice your honor, you can chain ghosty boys to the world, have them go fuck up Sauron. But at the end of the day, I guess Aragorn felt it necessary to uphold that promise that he made to them and he released the ghosty boys. It just, it is what it is. I don't understand that because my understanding of the oath is Isildur called the realms of men to defend against Mordor. And then these guys show up to defend against Mordor. But the fight with Mordor isn't over yet because there's still a whole big battle that still has to go. But Aragorn's like, yeah, like you can leave if you want. I don't care. It's almost like another dumb point in the movie. I don't have anything to tell you, Craig. It is what it is. We're just going to have to move past it. Oh, I got another one that made me angry. <laughs> it's the fight. In general, you've got the, all the enemies are one dimensional, clear monsters, right? And when the humans come in charge from the side, you see a couple orcs or not orcs the other with the pointy ears. I don't know what they are. They look terrified like, oh, no. And that's bullshit. There's no way that like in the middle of this battle when then like this another charge of humans comes, they're going to like, I've made a bad choice sighting on this side. So there's two different kinds of orcs, right? There's the Urukai and the orcs. The orcs are the cowards that would definitely run away from a fight. But the Urukai are basically the bred mindless soldiers. Yeah, well, even you get to even see the orcs fight amongst themselves and cower and snicker when Frodo is captured after Shelob. And they're in disarray. They're just small potato brain monkeys running around and so i think they might be a little bit spooked on the battlefield that wouldn't strike me as weird okay i, I am willing to agree with you though chris all the villains are totally one note there's no tone there there's no interest there it's just they're bad guys yeah, they're just evil for evil's sake. Watching this now, it's like propaganda. The enemies are monsters. Well, this was written by J.R.R. Tolkien, and he was a soldier in, what, World yes. War One. So yeah, he probably drank the Kool-Aid. Oh, totally. <laughs> and that's the thing I don't like. See, Chris, this is what I wanted to hear. This is a legitimate, great critique of this film, and I appreciate that. Good. I just, I was kind of holding back, but I'm not going to. Let it out. These are like war movies. Movies where you've got these massive battles that move the plot forward, they make me crazy because they glorify that trench warfare. It's never the officers they get mowed down when they step over the trench, right? It's always the people. When Aragorn charges in, he gets out without a scratch. <laughs> right. Ignore the 3,000 people that died behind him, though. That's right. Because they didn't have a name. <laughs> in real life, he wouldn't be on the battlefield. He'd be in a tent behind the lines, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good point, Chris. That's an opinion I definitely respect. So simultaneously with this battle at Pelennor Fields, Schmeagel has convinced Frodo to shoo Sam away. And so Schmeagel and Frodo walk right into Shelob's den and we get this whole battle sequence with the spider. This is one of my favorite moments of the whole film because it goes back to my favorite storyline. I love seeing the battle with the spider. The special effects are awesome. I like that it feels like Frodo really has a chance to beat this spider through jerking around these small little tunnels and this big monster has a hard time fitting through. It was good. And you could tell some of this 
spider lady was practical. Yeah, absolutely. I liked that. That was nice. Instead of just being all CG. This was the part of the movie that Sam became an interesting character. Before it was just this kind of like irritating, bitchy, screaming hobbit. And now he <laughs> decides, you know what? Fine. I'm going to do it anyways. And he, he follows Frodo into this ridiculous cave that he's like, uh, why in the hell did you go in here? Follows them in and fights off this spider. That He's a gardener for Christ's sake. He has no business fighting a monstrous spider and chases her back. This is where Sam really turns the courage on and decides, you know what? We know someone around here has got to be a goddamn hero and I guess it's going to have to be me. I was frustrated that he didn't bring the bread. <laughs> True. For twofold, right? Like it's the proof. I ne- I didn't eat it. He threw it over the edge and maybe he could have a nibble too. You get the Rocky training montage music. He's eating bread with one hand, climbing up the rock with the other one. <laughs> Getting stronger. <laughs> now I'm stronger. <laughs> he runs to Frodo's side. <laughs> if I ever get a chance to write the parody, it's going in there. Okay, so Shelob is defeated. Sam rescues Frodo from certain death once again. The two enter the base of Mount Doom. After escaping that little orc fortress, Aragorn and company distract the eye of Sauron by charging the borders. And now we're in the base of the mountain. We have Sam, Frodo, and Smeagol sneaking up lurking. The ring is dangling above the lava. What's going through your head? Just push him. Push him. <laughs> the first time I saw this movie, I was thinking, oh my God, Sam's going to have to kill him, right? And this is this is going to be a huge moment. This is going to be an interesting moment for this character who has followed this man literally across the world and he's going to have to kill him to complete the quest. And then Frodo puts the ring on and disappears. Can we take a moment to talk about how he puts the ring on and he holds it out in front of him and in ultra slow motion over the span of like 40 seconds slowly puts it on like that was so cheesy it's almost like he was doing it to troll sam like (laughs) 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 yeah it's like and it wasn't slow motion he was just doing it slowly so you could see his finger guess what and there's nothing you can do to stop me i got a question for you guys i almost thought it might even be a better ending if frodo doesn't survive the orc capture and sam has to bear this last leg of the journey it's a chance for him to reflect and understand what Frodo is going through the entire time and he's able to toss it away and complete the journey. Does that make it a better or a worse movie? Yeah, better. I would have been fine with Frodo dying at any point in this movie. (laughs) It was Sam that was interesting for me and Sam pushing Frodo on. That was interesting for me. My dream ending? Sam rushes him before everyone dies. Sam rushes him before he puts the ring on. They both go over and Sam kisses him on the cheek right before they hit the lava. I think the reason why I wanted the ending to change is because I feel like not having Frodo throw the ring into the lava sacrifices a great character building moment. I feel like if he's able to harness just an ounce of resistance in this final moment to really show how powerful his mental fortitude has become, I thought it would have been good. Him saying, no, it is mine. I felt like that was one of the worst ways it could have gone my parallel was people with addiction like you don't have that mental fortitude to be able to pull it out when it's there in front of you why would you throw it away that's a good point so i think it just shows how powerful this was and how you can start off super strong but your ability gets worn down and worn down the more you're on it so yeah i don't think he could have i thought we were going to talk about your drug addiction (laughs) (laughs) that was a wonderful critique and a wonderful clap back chris thank you (laughs) 
The corruptive part of the ring was interesting. It's almost akin to the dark side of the force. It's what it is, and it's there, and it's tempting, and, and you've got it, and it's always with you, and the longer it's with you, and the more it's with you, the more you like it, and the less resilient you become to it. This ending, though, it seemed almost dry. Like, there wasn't anything there. It seemed so bland. Well, the spice was supposed to be Schmeagel, right? That was supposed to be the, the little yeah. flare in the recipe. When I'm talking about the, the Frodo, like, no, it's mine thing, it's like, yeah, okay, of course he did that. Like, of course. He's been corrupted by this thing for three movies. Yeah, I think it would have been more interesting to not have Smeagol show up there, but to have Sam then have to make that choice. What do you do? 100%. Yeah. Sam killing Frodo to complete the journey, I don't know if that's good, but I would have been excited to see it. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to just note the very end there, the actual, you know, the ending with the ring. I loved that the ring defeated itself was the best part of the whole thing. The ring had Smeagol so addicted that he would do anything just to hold it one more time, even if it was to grab it and jump into the lava with it, just so he could hold it for a split second before he hit the lava. And that was perfect. Doesn't he smile when he's falling to his death because he finally yeah. has he's it? Got it? He's so happy. And that was the perfect ending because the kingdoms of men didn't defeat Sauron. It wasn't the elves and all their awesomeness. It wasn't Gandalf with his magic. The ring fucked itself. <laughs> That's the new tagline for this movie. In these movies that we see too much of the time is good defeats evil but that's not always how it happens a lot of the time what happens is evil defeats evil by being too corrupt for its own good and that's what happened and i thought that was great i did find the ending of the movie satisfying the ring needed to be destroyed i'm glad it happened after nearly 10 hours when all was said and done i was happy with it yeah i agree with you craig i think it's poetic to have it end the way it did that was something i noted was just this theme throughout the whole movie is this uh temptation and corruption not just by the ring but by like this probably the steward didn't start out the way he was right I, I totally agree. He probably just thought, well, I guess I'm just a caretaker. And then he had done it for 40 years and was like, no, I'm the ruler of Gondor. Well, the movie's not about a ring or an evil. It's about like two things, right? It's about temptation and it's about camaraderie. I mean, those are the two themes that are carried out throughout the entirety of the film. Don't forget about capitalist propaganda. All right, let's get the show on the road. Afterwards, we get our standard epilogue. Samwise returns to the Shire to live his happy life. Aragorn is crowned king of Gondor and Frodo, scarred by the influence of the ring, searches for a new beginning away from Middle-earth on one of the Elvish ships. Is there anything we haven't discussed yet related to the characters or plot elements that you want to bring up before we transition on into music and ranking this bad boy? Cheesy lines. I want to talk about the fact that there's not a single non-white person in 10 hours of Lord of the Rings films. Does that not weird? It's a little weird. It's 2003. It just felt really weird, especially coming from a 2021 perspective. My impression was just that it was like a, it was supposed to be a what, what, what time like a feudal Europe yeah but it's also fantasy and it and it's art it's not like you're doing a historical reenactment you could have cast it as anybody yeah like if half of Scotland was black in Braveheart I'd have been like well that's kind of strange I don't know there were so many black people in Scotland back then but you're, you're right this is fantasy they could have done whatever they wanted I think it's because Peter Jackson's racist I don't know anything about Peter Jackson I don't Jackson. know if that's true I don't know anything yeah I don't know but if you don't know that I wouldn't blurt it out <laughs> It's gonna just, all of a sudden, I get like a cease and desist letter. 
My one hated scene was the cuddle at the end where they're all in the bed just laughing at each other. I thought that was super cheesy. I didn't really understand the point. They could have just cut back to them all at the Shire having a beer. Just them all rolling around in bed and then everyone slowly coming in and watching them was just a weird look for me. So we're going to talk about the ending now? No, we just we already talked about the ending for like 400 years. No, we didn't talk about the epilogue. What happens in the epilogue that we need to talk about? Nothing. The cuddle scene? Let me talk. Oh my God. I'll tell you about the stupid what epilogue. What do you want to talk about in the epilogue, Craig? Go. There was one part of the epilogue I wanted to, to mention. <laughs> I love this char- this point about Sam's character. He didn't let his fame or his accomplishments change who he was, even to the point when he just wanted to ask this cute girl out. I mean, dude, you are the biggest fucking Chad in all of Middle <laughs> Earth. You go ask that chick for her number and she is going to give you them digis for <laughs> sure. Absolutely. But he's like, oh, I don't know, I guess like maybe I'll ask her to dance. And he's like kind of like fretting to himself. And all the guys are sitting around like, dude, you fought a spider with a toothpick and won. You're gonna, she is going to be with you for sure. You saved the world, dog. But none of the other hobbits cared. They were too busy looking at that huge pumpkin. They didn't give a shit who Frodo and Sam were. I did like that. Keeping them humble. The Shire doesn't really seem to care about anything that happens outside the Shire. I just love that about Sam's character. And that was the perfect part of the fact that you know he's the hero and even at the end he still is just he's just sam one other comment about the film in general before we move on to ranking them the film score was done by howard shore and i believe it complemented the movie pretty well i particularly enjoyed the sections of the soundtrack featuring the mordor sequences the na 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 dun 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 that is this film's imperial march it's not as good but it's still stuck in my head it has been in there for like 10 years other than that not much was particularly memorable but it did accompany well what was transpired on screen. I thought so. I really liked the scene where Pippin was singing and then they had that juxtaposed with Faramir running into battle and then the guy eating those cherry tomatoes really aggressively but I really liked how that was done and that song stood out for me. The music at the credits was very yes, good. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the name of the song but it was it was a beautiful song. Didn't register at all. Did you turn it off immediately as you saw the first credit Chris? You're like I've had enough of this fucking capitalist bullshit. <laughs> so I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right let's Frank, Return of the King. Sarah, where's it going? It is going to be between Memento and Up. I'm going to put it in number two. I loved this movie. I thought it was fantastic. I think it's the only fantasy movie to ever have won an Oscar. And I think so many things after this would not have been possible. You wouldn't have gotten your Game of Thrones or any of those series. I think this was a better movie than the first, just Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. And I'm a surprise that that is higher up on this list than Return of the King. I thought it was a better movie as a whole. I agree. My ranking is Return of the King, Fellowship fellowship two towers that was what my ranking was before and after doing a rewatch it stayed the same it was i hated this movie out of the three of them the most and after watching this i think i switched i actually really enjoyed it this moved to number one very cool how about you craig i came in expecting to stick this um, sucker somewhere down around <laughs> 10 <Fuck off. laughs> but after having watched it and if you've managed to listen to the entire podcast so far you'll know i had quite a number of critical things to say about it however i enjoyed it quite a bit so i'm actually going to put it in number three between Close Encounters and Reservoir Dogs. Sarah, rescind the termination letter. Yeah. Is it gone in the mail yet? I actually had a question for Craig. Were you able to recognize any of the filming locations because you went on your vacation? Uh, Believe it or not, (laughs) no. The first one, I saw the mountains that are the mountains that are crossing in Fellowship, but this isn't Fellowship, so no. We'll discuss it then. We're fucked when we get to the first movie. I don't know what the fuck we're going to do. We'll figure it out. Chris, where are you going to (laughs) put Return of the King? (laughs) Are you excited? It is right at... At number 10 for me. So the dragons, Sarah, put it one above Braveheart. <laughs> <laughs> 
least you're consistent and you put the sword fighting movies next to each other. Mm -hmm. I respect that. Yeah. Will it be all movies that depict battles at the lower end of the block? We'll see. I, I'm just going through this like, we the people thing right now. Maybe I'll have a switch and I'll be like, fuck, just send them into the meat grinder. I think we only have one more battle movie. Well, Star Wars. That's a huge oh, battle that's where space battle. the that's, people get that's killed. That's in the title. That's space battle. It's its own category. That's still a battle. But that's more like an aviation battle where you're actually not... <laughs> You're, you're not sending people into the meat grinder. Chris likes Star Wars because it's the rebels yeah. fighting against the bourgeoisie. Exactly. <laughs> have we all ranked it? I have not ranked it. Okay, rank it. Oh, number one. Oh my God, I have no respect <laughs> for you anymore. Bullshit. Number Bull. It's better one. than Memento? It is Are you better than Memento. And I will continue to watch this movie every five years until I am six feet under the ground. This was a huge part of what I enjoyed during my formative years. And you can call it nostalgia. You can call it whatever you want. I won't discredit you. But this will always hold a special place in my heart. And I think even through a critical lens, it holds up well. And if you don't believe me, it won 11 Academy Awards. So Come at me. All right, so here's the thing. I'm going to let you get away with this, and I'm I'm not going to say anything about it, but when Star Wars comes around and I put it number one, you better keep your damn mouth shut. You know I won't, boy. I won't. <laughs> Chris, what are we watching in the next episode of Popcorn Peeps? Next week, we'll be watching the 1991 Disney classic, Beauty and the Beast. So excited. <laughs> nice. And where can our audience check that out? Uh, you'll be amazed that you can stream it on Disney+. Plus. What, really? Oh, wow. <laughs> But you could buy it on Cineplex, Apple TV, uh, something. Here's a neat one. What is this? You can watch this movie on your grandma's VHS tape. I still have mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I do as well. You can you can order it for $4.95 on Illico. Don't put your credit okay. card in Illico. <laughs> that can't be good. <laughs> I Don't worry. <laughs> when I check it and it's just some random thing I've never heard before. Yeah, I'll, I'll, you can have my credit card. That's fine. Totally legit. Oh. All right. I'd like to extend a special thank you to our supporters on Patreon.com. Special thank you to Travis Laporte, Jim Wamsley, Frank Costa, and Ryan Saarinen. If you would like to support the show on Patreon, there is a link at the top of the description in the YouTube video. Your support is never required, but always appreciated. But until next time, thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Uh, I got two weeks until Travis isn't my friend anymore. <laughs>